Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sometimes needing new tires can catch us by surprise. That's why tire power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tirepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. And we've got a massive show heading your way this morning. Good morning, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. It's uh, nice to be sitting alongside you. 1.5, of course, because uh, 1.5 minutes, yep. Victoria got smacked with a five-day lockdown as of, uh, well, during the week into last weekend, which was harsh. We're out of it now, though. We are out of it. And hence why we're here. The day, let's be honest, you were stoked about it because lockdown ended, you fished the next day, and you absolutely slayed the tuna. Uh, the, the lockdown, I thought it was going to be mad the next day, like boats everywhere, but I think what happened was everyone sort of, no one was at work, so people actually had to work, so they had they didn't do anything for five days, so they actually had to go to work. The whole, the whole building industry, like my house isn't quite finished yet. <laughs> they shut down and I, and I would argue that my builder's actually taken the lockdown a little too far. He hasn't actually started back since Christmas. <laughs> He's been he is locked down for a month. We had dinner Dave. at your place the other week and Dave, half, you're your, locked down. half your roof was a skylight. <laughs> <laughs> but you but you're right. So everyone all of a sudden ha- they had to go take to, Thursday off. That's right. And it kept the boat traffic down. One thing was it was bloody windy. Twenty five knots from the north, and when you're out wide chasing tuna, sort of that fifty meters. Don't get me wrong, the offshore obviously plays that massive role because it keeps that roll of the weight wind. If it was a southerly, it'd be rolling through quite big. You might have two metre of slop, three metre of slop. No swell, but you might have that crap inside where the northerly keeps that away. But when you're out wide, it still sluts to build up and it gets messy. It's hard to get lures out. It's hard to stand. But one thing it does do, as we always talk about, Pat, is it fires the tuner up. It really gets them going, and they fed really, really well. Are we talking soft plastic, deep diver? Yep. What was your... So once again, well, for up, I'll be honest, up first, I actually chased a kingfish pretty hard, up first in a couple of... Chasing big kingfish, so not smaller kingfish in the morning. No success. I just... just Where I was fishing was around a headland, and it was just pushing too hard, and it just wasn't working. So second plan was tuna, and I headed out there with everything, as I always do. I've got my bungees, I've got my plastics, I've got... Bungee on one rod, plastic on another, and then I've what, got... Let's go through what size plastic you're using yep. at the moment because it's a really... It's an important point because sometimes tuna will be finicky with the size and you've got some... You've obviously got a huge array of different plastics that you use, but what have you found to be the most successful of late? Yeah, so they're called the Atomic Plazos, Plazos, and they are in the white colour. That's what I've found by far the best. And I've been using them in that six-inch range to the seven-inch range. Now... The key, the problem is, sorry, when I'm using a one-ounce jig head, a jig head, because we're using quite strong hooks, 
uh, we're using six o six o hooks on the on the jig head. They don't actually go through that smaller six inch plastic really well. They're sort of that bit thick and hard to push through. So when it is a bit rough and I want the I want the plastic to sink, I'm using the seven inch with a six o hook and a one ounce jig head size for the strong a stronger hook as well. And when it gets calmer and it's quite still. I'll then drop the plastic size a little bit and drop the jig head size to maybe like half an ounce sort of thing or three quarters. But it comes back down to practicality of what you actually need to use on the day of the conditions that you have. Those bungee casts are 100 mil long. They're about 30 grams in weight. You can cast them a long, long way, especially with the wind, and they work really well on the tuna. But because it was so rough, I actually stayed away from the casting and we did the trolling. And we're going to get a guest in a couple of weeks, Pat. The guy who builds the bangers teaser bars... Now, in America, the teaser bars and the dredge bars and whatnot have taken off. They've been, not have taken off. They're taken off in Australia. We are very, very far behind America. They've been using these dredge bars for a hell of a long time. Now, we did a review, and if you do want to listen to, uh, to the, any of our podcasts or any of our shows, make sure you download a Real Adventures app and you can listen to everything that we have spoken about. We did a review on all different types of teaser bars and the use for them. What they are is uh, basically... A lures or fish or squid that sit next to each other so it looks like a coat hanger basically and it has three four or five arms that come off it and you have your three you have four or five squid hanging off it and then off the middle one you have out the back your lure actually attached to a snap swivel and it's actually attached you attached to your rod you're trawling around with them on it and what they're doing is they're calling uh, sorry they're, well, they're calling the fish up but they're making an absolute mess on the surface there's that much noise going on they're splashing the tuna come up to look at it i've actually lost the bottom squid off uh off one of my teaser bangers teaser bars because the uh the tuna actually we watched it crunch it and then it went back and ate the lure which is pretty cool but uh it, it, it's a must-have on these tuna i'm telling you right now bangers teaser bars it is a must-have i'm not plugging it for sponsorships blah blah, blah. i bought mine off 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 kai i'm going to get him on the show and he's going to talk through everything that goes into making and designing and what makes them the what makes them work basically in more depth. But get yourself some, and they are getting every fish pack. And the shotgun is being by far the best. So away from the boat, the shotgun's your furthest lure back. Your dredge bar or your teaser bar's working on the top, splashing, splashing, splashing. That lure's behind it, about two meters. The tuna come up, bang, you're on. So I'm running two of those. And I'm running two daisy chains. So I'm not just running lures out the back or deep divers out the back. I'm actually running these lures off daisy chains. And a daisy chain is exactly what I said to you before with the dredge bar. It's the same, but it's only a single one. So there might be a squid, a four-inch plastic squid, a four-inch plastic squid, four-inch plastic squid, and then you lure on the back of it. And that's just creating surface noise. And they're connected by wire. Uh, no, no, it's actually two, It's just 200-pound mono. It's, yeah, you be and yeah, it's just right. and it's just and it's just crimped. It's just crimped straight through. So it's actually just crimped. Like, do you know how we crimp for tuna? So it's literally crimped the whole way down, Pat. So from where each squid has a crimp and a and a uh, and a green uh, a green fluorescent bead, and it basically stops it from going down. And that's how they're set up on mono. And then they're 200, 250 pound. And I've actually upped my leader. Everyone's in shock. Going, what? You're running a hundred and thirty pound leader. You've always talked about going light. Well, yeah, but. When I'm running these dredge bars, do you think the tuna actually notice yeah, the, the leader? About. There's yeah. that much noise coming off these. Off, you, you should see it. It's, it. When you use one, you'll catch more fish and you'll be in shock on how good these look on the surface. They're splashing. There's water noise going everywhere. They don't give a crap what leader's on the side of it. They can't see it. Where when you're running your normal lure, I would drop down to 60 or 80 pound. I'd go half of it at least. So 
you've got to be smart with fishing, and that's one thing. The noise that's coming off it is going to create to create the bite. We'll, we'll create the fish to come up, and then see this, oh, crap, look at all this splashing going on. There's a bait ball, and then bang, oh, there's a little, little lure off the back, little four-inch lure, six-inch lure, and bang, you're on. When you get them up, it can be a bit of a prick to get the fish up because you've got, you've got say, for instance, your, your, your FG or your double uni knot, whichever you want to join it to, to mono, then you've got your snap swivel. And then you've got your metre and a half, two metres of teaser bar that you've got to grab with your hand. Then you've got to grab your leader, which is hanging off the back of it, which is attached to the fish, and then pull it up. It's good to have a mate to help you. Makes life a little bit easier. Uh, let's talk uh, the New South Wales seaboard at the moment. There's some really good marlin being caught yep. right up and down there. With, um, And this is obviously the challenge at the moment with, with the borders between states. Now those in New South Wales... She's all you know, Good to go. happy as Larry. You go where you like. Those that are fishing from Victoria at the moment, you're obviously um, you're having to wait, um, but it's fishing really, really well. Yeah, Aladala and JB, uh, Jarvis Bay, is the two places I'd be going right now. 10 to 15 fish days. They're getting a lot of fish. Ticking around live baits, around the bait, it's incredible the amount of fish that they're marking up there. It is a really, really good place to go right now. And to put you in comparison, like if you were to head to Eden, say it takes you from my joint... Melbourne's a bit shorter, sort of seven hours. My joint's roughly nine. Towing a boat, a couple of stops. To get to Aladulla or JB, yes, it's quite high up, but you get on the Hume Highway, and by the time you get on that and come out, where Eden's a lot of hills you've got to go through, hence the time. So it's roughly about nine to ten hours. It's not much further to go if you're thinking of that eden Bermagui area. Yeah. So make sure you, if you, you do contemplate it. If you oh, I don't want to travel that far up because you think Burmese ten hours, well, it's about the same because you're on a different highway and the way it links in. So it's a good place to go right now. I know Sydney's fishing quite well too. Dolphin uh, fish as well around yeah. Sydney. Some really good numbers. Al McGlashan's getting some fantastic fish, which is great to see on the social media platforms. You get some beautiful photos of fish. A few Makos showing up. A lot of Makos showing up out of Burmy. Uh, the bite did slow down out of Bermagui, Eden, but the current swung around now and it's starting to slow up. So we should see today, next day, when we get the weather patterns to get out there, you should start to see the captures coming back up again. It's all about your currents and everything, your updwelling water, as we've spoken about. But it's fishing really, really well. Kingfish at the island, uh, on the smaller side of things, um, nothing huge yet. A lot of undersized, and you work through them, you'll get your bigger ones, but they will get bigger. But you've got to work out, once again, that if that current's not working there, the kingfish will be harder to catch but the marlin will then be probably easier, the striped marlin. So, yeah, the New South Wales seaboard's fishing really, really well. And inshore around Sydney Harbour there is fishing bloody good. You're getting a lot of tailor salmon, inshore kingfish. If you're using stick baits and whatnot, you can go in there and have an absolute blinder of a trip in there and get some and get some really nice uh, oversized kings. Like I said, a lot of unders, so be mindful of the rules and regs, but some really nice kings. One of the things that we... Both love eating uh, flathead, and they've been. I, I quite, smacked them before lockdown. They've been quite good offshore, in particular. You're getting some really nice sized fish. Yeah, if you want to, oh mate, you. I don't even know where to study. Just I'm just thinking about it. I might get some out of the freezer tonight. To be honest with you, Patrick, I should have bought you a bag up. But it, uh, they are the best fish to eat in the sea. They are the best fish to eat. Now offshore, drifting around with a squid strip in that 40 meters of water out the back of Sereno, or even down towards Queen, uh, down off Torquay there. Beautiful flooded. Come across tigers, a lot of sandies. I've been anchoring up in the bay a bit too, Pat, or a lot. Anchoring up on a sandbar, three to five metres, and just 
big flooded, 35 to 55. Now, I know I spoke about Sydney and they're getting up to metres at times, so our big flooded is 35 to 45 here in Victoria. But you're not keeping, <laughs> you're not keeping a metre flooded. No, these are, the ones, these are the ones you want to eat. These are beautiful tasting fish, and for anyone that goes out there and has a go at me over keeping my 20 fish can get stuffed because they don't last longer than a minute. And they are, mate, there's nothing better than them. I don't no, I think agree. there is. So, the, uh, yeah, everything's fishing really, really well. We've got a massive show of real adventures coming your way this morning. We've got Dave Mean Redman. He's going to join we us. We do. Uh, not after the break, after the break's break. Uh, we're going to chat to him about Mercury's new 600 horsepower V12 outboard that was announced during the week. It's going to be in the vicinity of half a tonne and... We're going to hold off on giving away. What, I still can't you know. believe they gave me one for nothing. <laughs> New 600 horsepower. Well, I just don't know what to do with it yet. Speaking of nothing, we're going to talk about <laughs> the price of this engine, which may be enough to make you wince because, oh, Lordy, it's expensive. But it is when it comes to new tech, it is quite extraordinary. You're listening to Real Adventures. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for the Social Club where we take your questions from social media. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you shoot it into our Real Adventures Facebook or Instagram page or better yet, send it into our Real Adventures app. I'll start us off. Oh, you'll start us off. I'll start us off. I've got a question for you, to be honest with you. I love my footy. I've always loved my footy. and uh, have. Never really went too much for a side. I always followed the cats, but obviously... Putting up with you for a little bit now. I've got, got into it a bit more. I'm a bit worried about this season, to be honest with you, Patrick. I am a bit worried. Uh, we just got locked down for four months, it felt like. It was only five days. We did. Uh, what's going to happen? Seriously. It's going to affect the season. You obviously would have been limited training. I think you said to me maybe a couple of hours or something you were allowed to train. Well, I don't even know if you're allowed yeah, to do that. No, it was. <laughs> it was. I actually did media on when was it Thursday afternoon. They were asking the same thing. Yeah, it's... it's um, it's going to be a challenge. It is going to be a challenge. The, the The challenges are every individual state reacts differently to the contagion and spread when there's um, new cases that arise. And obviously one of the biggest challenges has been this UK variant, which is you know, what we keep being told is far more um, contagious. Love the media. More deadly. We love the media. Et cetera, et cetera. Well, we're part of it. So, <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, so... That is the biggest challenge. Western Australia is a really big challenge because they just shut the borders to absolutely everyone. <laughs> and we love the West, but they're really difficult to deal with when it comes to the AFL competition and the integrity of the competition because you can't fly in, fly out unless you've had whatever it is, 28 days of no mm. community transi- uh, trans- transmission, which is fine. And it's, you know, it's, you know, every state does it differently. And, and you ask most Western Australians, apart from this, sort of lockdown that they had when it was it three, four weeks ago. They haven't there's been no such thing as COVID this year. Like they they've just gone mm. about their, their usual lives. So they've done a great job over there. But when it comes to the AFL competition, it's really, really difficult to, to run um a competition that is fair for all, particularly when you've got two clubs from Western Australia. So look, there's gonna be challenges. There's gonna be you know there's every chance there's the postponement of games at different stages, particularly if we're not in hub situations. And we've seen this in the US, and it's it's been okay. The challenge I think we've all got is when the AFL come out and say, all right, we're going to go back to normal size quarters. Um, we're going to reduce interchange. 
we're going to reduce significantly footy department soft caps. Um, you know, three million off. So you think about the number of staff that's reduced there. Mm. So there could be the in- increase in injuries going back to normal length games. If there's games that are postponed and you've got to try and squeeze them in there somewhere, you're squeezing in a normal size game. Like that's why I th- I felt like the benefit of keeping it at maybe if it was 16 and a half minutes last year, go to 18, just, just keep it, a, just keep a little bit back. So if we need to squeeze and cram games into a short period of time, we can do it. You're not flogging yourselves. Yeah. We weren't ever going to get to 2021 and COVID was just going to disappear. So it's something that we're still going to Not why Dan's to... in charge. Sorry. I didn't say that, but it I did. Don't talk about Dan the men like that. Um, it's not something, you know, we're going to have to continue to live with it. So I think that at the moment, the season will start on time. Yep. A month time, whatever that is. Um, Glad you know. But, you know, we're going to have to be on the edge of our seats because it, it has... It's definitely got the ability to, to change at a very short... Will you be ready? We'll be ready, but... What, it just... Will we be ready, ready, or ready? No, we'll be you ready. Know, you know what I but mean. But teams certainly have had less time to prepare. Yeah, because of the season Mind obviously you, dragged There's out. other teams that have had a huge amount of time to prepare. So it's, it's horses Oh, yeah, because you made the final. I forgot about that. All right. <laughs> Next, first question, rather, rather than me blabble on about footy. Bruce, how to Burley for Flathead in Port Phillip Bay? Aaron, how do you specifically do it? Good question. Uh, Pilchards again. I swear by them. They're the best thing to use. But the key, Pat, is don't just throw pillies over the side like you're fishing for snapper up top of Altona. You need to put the burley where the fish lives. Where does the flathead live? On the bottom. So that's where you're going to put your burley. So the lead cage that we use for the whiting, we're going to use for the flathead. I still like my tidal waters. Let the tide flow. You need the tide running. Don't worry about slack. Let the tide flow. Get up on the sand. Try and stay away from the weed. Get on the sand because that's where Flathead live. They love sand. Yes, you get them amongst the weed, but you also get a lot of toadies and whatnot off the weed too. And the leatheries. Get off the weed. Get onto the sand. Get your burley down the bottom. Mash your pillies up with your burley mincer. I've filmed this all on Salt Guide as well. If you want to see it visually, head to the website, Salt Guide, and then you'll be able to exact see exactly how I do it. And you won't be disappointed when you put it in the fry pan with your little bit of lemon, salt and pepper and you chew on it. Damien, hey boys, I love the show. How do you rig your live baits when you're trolling for marlin? Well, we spoke off the top of the show how well the bottom of New South Wales is fishing at the moment and right up to Sydney Harbour, it's fishing extremely well. So um, if you're in New South Wales at the moment, now is a great time to go and chase any species of marlin. But how do you rig it? You've got a trip that you're hoping you you can still go to. I would have liked to have been up there as we speak, to be honest with you. But I don't even know if I'm allowed to go in there at the moment. Wouldn't, I don't even. I can't keep up with the rules and regs. Not for the next fourteen day little incubation period. But talk to us about the the way that you rig your live baits. Yeah, so it's pretty crucial when you are targeting marlin to to do things right. I find marlin a pretty easy fish to catch. Probably the I shouldn't say easy as in like they just come to you. They're not like a barrel tuna where you've got to trawl all day and you get one bite, blah blah blah. You've got opportunities of getting 10, 12 fish in a day sometimes. Like they're really fun fish to catch. And we're seeing that at the moment in oh. New South Wales. That's the, it's, it's fishing that well at the moment. You just need to do the right thing. So first of all, you're going to head out. You're going to mark your bait up. You might trawl lures until you find your bait, or you might have caught bait the day before and you've rigged skip baits and you're trawling skip baits. And once you find that bait on the sonar, and I'm saying if you're 160 meters of water. 
the bait might be from 20 metres right down to 160 metres. That's how thick the bait gets. And how you catch it is you drop down an easy rig. Uh, an easy rig. No, you don't. That's, a, that's, for, that's for gummy sharks. You drop down a um, bait jig. Now, I don't use baited jigs to catch any live bait around home or anything like that. I make my own little, basically nearly like a whiting rig, but extended pattern. I'll the other way. But with the marlin, you want to have the little shiny sabiki jigs, or sabiki rigs, jigs, whatever you want to call them. You're dropping down with your six hooks with a 15, 20-ounce sinker at times on your big kingfish rod. You're dropping down, and that little bit of shine into those school, you're bringing six back up. So that's how you want to get your bait first. When you get out there, how are you going to rig them? A must. Outriggers. You need outriggers to run live baits. You can't just trawl, tick them around. You need light outriggers. And why why I'm, why you need them is the outriggers obviously go on the side of your boats. They come out and expand, ex, extend your line roughly 14 to 16 foot off the boat. Some riggers are 20 foot. And but what they do is they allow your reel to be in free spool. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is because this comes back to hooking the marlin in the corner of the jaw nine times out of ten. So what happens is you've got your big gamma 90 big bait circle. That's exactly the hook I use. I've got my uh, live bait. Now you can be lazy. You can be lazy. And when I've got a few fish, I definitely do this. You can just hook it through the nose holes and drop it into the water. But if you want to do it properly, you want to use Dacron or wax thread. Now what you want to do is you want to make a circle. So you've got your, you've got your Dacron, which is just like a... It's Dacron all on your wine on leaders. It's your Dacron's a black piece. And the, and the wax thread is your wax thread. And you need a, ne- a needle... And what you want to do is you want to make a circle. So you pull a strip off, say, about 12, 12, 14 centimetres, and you just tie a knot into it. So it's actually now a full circle. You put one, you get your bait needle, you put one the needle through the nose of the fish, pull that dacron or wax thread through, grab the other side of it, and then you want to half hitch it basically to the hook. And that way, your fish swims freely. The hook actually sits maybe an inch and a half in front of the actual hook itself. When the marlin comes up, you get a clean hook up. Not only that, is when you do pin the hook through the nose of a fish, it can actually turn back and hook the fish on itself and make it actually tangled and spin your bait and all of a sudden that whole rig's done. Yep. But coming back to the actual outriggers, the purpose of them with your live baits, how we rig and troll them, is I let the, I'll let i let that live out. And you you watch. When you drop that live in the water, it's the live it's ever going to be. It takes off. Down it goes. Yep. And I'd let it out between maybe 30 metres, 40 metres at times behind the boat. Let it out. 20 metres. And then... You want to clip it to your outrigger. Now, you don't want to just clip it in the clip at the top of the outrigger that comes with the rigging, the whole rigging process with that outrigger. I run lacquer bands. So I actually, with so I go, I go around the line about 12 times. I just twist it around. Then I go back through the lacquer band, the other side of it. And then I actually clip it onto that, to the actual outrigger uh, clip. I pull the rope, which sends it up to the top. And then what happens is that elastic band acts as like a... Um, acts as a, um, what's a, a back and forward, what's that word called? You know what I'm talking about? Suspension, we'll call it that. Does that work? A suspension's a word, but I, I couldn't exactly feel You know what I'm talking it, about. Right? Anyway, it extends back and forward and allows it to be soft off the tip of the rigger. Don't laugh at me, Patrick. It expands off the edge of the rigger and it acts, and, and it works really well. It doesn't pop that, it doesn't pop the clip. So it takes the weight of the fish. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> it takes the weight of the fish and <laughs> and then the elastic band works really well there. And when the fish grabs it, it actually screams your reel out in free spool. So you've got no weight. And that comes out of there. It screams off. You've got no weight because you want to allow it to eat that bait and the hook because it's a circle hook. It runs off, counts a six, 
go up on the go up on your button onto your on your on your fifty wide. We'll go with a fifty wide, which is set at eight kilos drag because you're running twenty four kilo, which is a third of your line class. When you're setting your drag, you go up on it and bada bing, bada boom, you hooked up and away you go and you catch that fish. That is the social club. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you shoot it into us. And we'll do our best to answer. We get plenty of questions each and every week. It's now time for our dream boating destinations. And our dream boating destination for this morning is Venus Bay. Not South Australia's version, but Victoria's version of Venus Bay. It's roughly two hours drive uh, from Melbourne, heading towards the south of Gippsland. Uh, And it's not too far away from Phillip Island and Wilson's Prom. So a beautiful part of the world and a Great place to go fishing, Aaron. It is, and that's the reason I obviously go there. You can do your bushwalking, Pat, but you won't see me up there. You can, you can go to that one with uh, with Mards if you want. I'll uh, I'll be out in the water. There's good surf there as well. So Not bad surf. It, uh, like you said, spectacular place, and for me, it's the fishing that attracts me there. Uh, off the beach, gummy sharks, big gummy sharks off the beach. They fish really, really well. They're good sand dunes. There's also the main staircase, which holds some seriously good gutters. Yes, gutters move in and out, but usually they're around the staircase, which is the main one off Venus Bay main beach down there. And if you head straight out to your right, there's a few rocks as well that come off the edge of the point there. You fish the edge of that, that's where the gummies are going to be because of the structure of the reef. Also, those gutters I was talking about, salmon. Winter months is the time you want to get salmon. You don't. Summer, you'll get a few, but winter is by far the best time to get big salmon off the beach. Would you bait fish for them, Paternoster rig, or you use lures? What's your favourite? Yeah, the salmon, I'm definitely going the lures. I don't think you can beat them, but a dirty old pilchard tail with a surf popper underneath it as well will work really, really well if you are a bait fisherman for the salmon. Uh, for the gummies, that reef I was talking about, I'd be trying to get your rass and stuff off there as well as the salmon that you've caught during the day. That'll work really good for the gummies. People go, ras, and that's what I catch nearly all my gummies offshore on is blue throat ras. So that'll work really, really well too. But the main target that I go down there for, there's a place called Inverloch, which is not far from uh, Venus Bay. Between the two of them, they both fish extremely well for snapper. Out the front of Venus Bay, right around to the, the actual Inverloch itself, snapper fishing and offshore gummer fishing is second to none. You'll get some of the biggest snapper that you'll catch here in Victoria in this area between the months of September, October, November, sort of just before the snapper season fires hard in Port Phillip Bay. So you're going to get a really good snapper fishery. And they're not the snapper you catch every day. They've got knobby heads on them, and they look epic. They are probably the best-looking snapper you're going to catch. One thing to be wary of, it can get extremely windy around Venus Bay. You've got to be careful, obviously, of the surf as well, especially if you're surf fishing. Um because the last thing you want is to be dragged out into the ocean. But certainly Venus Bay is one of Australia's more special fishing destinations. It is our dream boating destination for this morning. All aboard for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures big or small. Mobile living made easy. Dometic. Time for All Aboard for Dometic, everything you need for adventures, big or small. Our special guest this morning is David Meehan from Mercury Marine. It's been a huge week in the outboard space globally, Redmond, and Mercury have been at the forefront of it. All the news has been around Mercury's new 600-horsepower V12 Verado, and Dave is here to talk us through it this morning and let Australians know when we can expect to see this engine Hopefully at some stage throughout the year. Redmond. Haven't you got one yet? Not not quite. I've got yet. two. <laughs> good, good morning, Dave. Thanks for joining us. G'day, Pat. How are you? 
We're, we're bloody excited mm. because this is clearly a, a, a first for Mercury, a company that's been um, in existence for a really long period of time now. Um, where do you see the 600 horsepower engine fitting within the Australian market first and foremost? Because it's, it is a colossus of an engine. Yeah, look, it's, um, it's pretty exciting. We were excited bringing out a V8 two years ago, but having a V12, um, you know, boats aren't getting any smaller. They're getting bigger and bigger, and, you know, we're seeing that trend in the U.S. They've got 30, 40, 50-foot boats running triples, quads, and sometimes even five engines. Um, you know, we don't have that luxury here, but that's sort of really where that development started, and, um, yeah, no one wants to go smaller in a boat. They just want to go bigger, so... Um, naturally aspirated V12, 600 horsepower. It's sort of perfect for the market right now over there. Speaking of development, how long has it been in development for? How long has it taken to get it to where it is now? Uh, it's probably about three or four years. Um, usually any new platform that Mercury designs, it starts about three or four years ago. So, yeah, it's a, fair, it's a, it's a really long process and, you know, there's a lot of testing and development and, by the time they make it to market, they've you know usually done thousands of hours of testing, so it's a long process. Dave, did you foresee what would happen to Seven Marine after Volvo Penta acquired it? For those unaware, currently the world's um, highest production horsepower outboard is Seven Marine's 627 supercharged V8. Now, that is not aligned with their environmental ethos and it's going to be shelved. So Mercury will become the highest um, horsepower provider engine manufacturer in the world. Did you foresee that coming or it's just been luck of the draw that they're all of a sudden out of the market and really at the higher end horsepower, there is no competition? Yeah, I guess they were always a niche player. They, They were never really... Um, dominating volume engine sales, which, you know, Mercury was doing. So it's not a surprise that they, they haven't stayed in the marketplace. Um, but um, I think Mercury is really well positioned with a lot of existing relationships with those big OEMs to, to really um, sell some big volume. Their setup of volume is probably the, the key. Dave, can you take us through a couple of uh, key elements to the engine? Now, one of the things that I do like, uh, I've got no experience with it because it hasn't been done before, Pat, but being able to steer up to 45 degrees where normal engines are roughly around that 30 degrees, how's this going to benefit anglers like myself on the water? Well, I think the main thing that, so the steerable gear case, it's really bizarre. Like, the, So in, everyone's used to their boat, the engine moving from left to right. This engine doesn't move at all, so it just it, it's static. And what the, what that's going to do is enable boat builders to build the transoms right hard next to the engine because it doesn't move. So it's going to give you. It's going to be interesting to see how boat designers design the transoms of boats and how they build live wells and all different types of things that they've never been able to do because they need to allow room for an engine to move. Um, probably for you, you know, as far as a single installation goes, um, you know, you're going to see some pretty awesome um, authority over the engine if you want to turn quickly or, you know, back down on a tuner or something like that. It's going to be good for that. But um, what we are going to see is twin engine installations um, with joystick functionality. The fact that you can turn it at 45, you've got real authority with a joystick too for twins. So it's pretty cool. So not only do you, are you offering, obviously, the joystick 
joystick functionality, but there's also the next-gen digital throttle and controls. Can you talk through that? Because that's a pretty significant change as well, uh, especially for those that are used to you know, the run of five to 10-year-old outboard. This is really changing yeah. the marketplace. Yeah, like our existing uh, DTS controls uh, are pretty awesome, but these just take it to the next level, and it's about the simplification behind the dash. It's a lot, everything's colour-coded and simple, less wires. Um, and with the V12, it's one cable going into the engine, so it's really neat and tidy down the back. Um, and the, the other thing that that V12's got is integrated electric steering as well. So it's a really clean back of the transom. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, next level, I guess. Uh, in the new controls, you've got um, little screens and things like that that can give you information that you can't get out of a normal control. And the, uh, the active trim is in the handle. Yeah, so there's lots of technology going in there as well to complement that V12, and that's going to come down the line into our V6 and V8 products as well. Dave, do you think that uh, will people these days go big engines on small boats? For instance, you might have a uh, North Bank, people will put a big 250 on the back of a 6-metre or even an Eden Craft and the likes putting 300, sometimes 400s. Now, I know Al McGlashan, for instance, he's got a 650 hardtop. I run a 175 Merc on my North Bank. Al's got a single yep. engine on his Merc, uh, single Merc, a uh, single engine on the back of his North Bank. And then, obviously, you've got a 600-horsepower engine coming out now. And Pat's got a 750 hardtop on the way. Now, Pat's gone, I think, twin 200s, am I correct, Pat? Twin 200s, he's gone. Do you think people will look at, rather than having two 300s on the back, say, for instance, of a 750 North Bank, which people will do, do you think people will choose to having that single 600 horsepower rather than the twin engines because it brings the cost of servicing what down? Even though the performance with dual engines can change a boat, but do you think people will look at that 600 horsepower? I reckon it's going to be mixed. I reckon you're never going to convince the guy for the reliability of two engines. Um, but there's going to be, um, I guess one thing the big single engine is going to do is, is simplicity. And um, and you, you would never have thought years ago people would enter the market and buy a 750 hardtop, but they are. And, um, you know, for somebody who steps into one of those boats and wants to go fishing, a, a big single is simple. It's um, it's easy to operate, known. Um, so I, I reckon you will see um, that. And as we've seen, you know, look at Bomber up at Groot Island. Um, we're we're travelling days offshore, and he's running a single engine with no dramas at all. So I think the reliability is so good now that you can get away with a big single. Now, last question before I reckon we let you go, unless Pat's going to sneak one more in, because this is pretty exciting. Now, you're running two props on the engine, class what they call it duo, duo props. Now, one's a four-blade, one's a three-blade. Explain to people out there that are listening, why would you have two props on one engine? How does that work? What benefit are you going to get from that? Yeah, so they're counter-rotating, so um, that'll give you better tracking in a straight line, I guess. So when you do run twin engines, one propeller rotates to the right and one rotates to the left so on a big single like this it's going to make the boat track really straight and uh, not lean it's going to help with that um, but the other really cool feature in conjunction with that is um, which we've never seen on an outboard before is a two-speed transmission so imagine having an automatic transmission like in your car in your boat so you put the throttle down and it looks at load and rpm and it'll change gear into a second gear um, when when the timing's right and 
that's going to be amazing for performance and fuel efficiency as well. Can you buy that in manual? <laughs> <laughs> I reckon if we could, people would buy it. But, uh... Dave, before we let you go, uh, when can we expect to see uh, these new engines on Australian shores and on Australian boats? And give us a sneaky price. We all want to know that. <laughs> um, so we'll probably see our first uh, engine arrive in July this year. We're putting together, a, actually putting it on the back of a rib, a 10.6 metre rib. Um, and we're going to be doing some demos with our local boat builders. Realistically, we'll start to see them in probably Q3, Q4. And, you know, some of the customers we're talking to, um, there's some of the Kiwi manufacturers, they're, they're looking at putting on some of those big boats. Um, so, yeah, I reckon we'll start to see them uh, Q3, Q4 this year. Um, and, yeah, and to answer your question, the, uh, the $50 million question that everyone's asking price, I'm um, talking 50 about million. fifty million. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. We're talking about uh, look, and again, it's very custom. Um, but talking about one hundred and thirty k retail for a single engine, six hundred with rigging, um, electronic controls, uh, electric steering, the whole works. Pat, can I, uh, can I get a loan? No, you can't. No, can't. Yeah. <laughs> David, thank you very much for joining us on Real Adventures this morning and talking through all things Mercury and their new 600-horsepower V12 Verado. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Good on you, fellas. Thanks, Dave. Thanks a lot. See ya. David Mean from Mercury Marine. That was all aboard for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Red's Review for Club Marine. Insure your boat with Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Call and ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. It's time for Red's Review, and I'm taking over it this morning, Redmond, because I've been doing a little bit of um, backyard blitzing, a little bit of home handy and work. Leave it when I see it. And I, I did a few weeks ago gaff... One of my favourite shops, which was Bunnings, because they didn't have the uh, the Ryobi charger for my um, whippersnipper that I bought. I've subsequently gone in and got that uh, battery. <laughs> they've got it in. And I felt compelled to sort of do a bit of a review on Ryobi, what I've gone with. Now, there's all different brands that you can buy now, whether it's um, AEG. <laughs> You're going as good as me. No, AEG or, you know, your, your, your tradey sort of tools. I'm talking more of your your weekend sort of warrior heroes is sort of my style of things. And I feel like Ryobi's a good brand for that. But what I didn't realise is just how good their lithium batteries are that can charge just about everything now. So there's whether it's little blow-of-acts that they've got, whether it's impact drivers, drills, um, all the things, nail guns. I actually bought a pack that has eight of them. Half the stuff I don't use, I bought it for the impact driver. But I you can tell how much like, you use them. I feel like a builder because I've got all these different tools. And the other day I was in Bunnings and I found myself buying an air compressor, which I've ne- I haven't seen any other brand apart from Roby have a portable air compressor that runs off these lithium eighteen volt batteries, and they're bloody sensational, mate. Do you know what the air compressor's for? Do you know what it's actually used for? Yeah, I pump up my footy. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually what I've used it for. Oh, no, Patrick. You know, no, you know what I actually used it for? I promised George that we'd – I've been promising him for a few weeks now that we'd go camping. So because I've got the um, the blow-up tent, yep. the make blow-up we, re- we did review it, and which, you can listen to any of our podcasts on the Real Adventures app, Patrick. And I promise you that that review is far better than this one. Um, <laughs> but I, I bought it for, for that reason of going camping, being able to take the um, – 
the air compressor with you because this thing's portable. It's it's, How it's big really is it? quite small. Like it'd be less than a foot wide, mate. It is unreal. So I brought that with that pops up the tent. <laughs> away you go. And I'm, the batteries I'm, last I'm, a long I'm time. I'm going to finish this segment right now, Patrick, because you're not a builder. You never will be a builder. You're not happy with Ryobi. I was going to say stick to goal kicking, but we'll go back to stick with midfield. That was Red's review. That was Red's review for Club Marine. Need insurance for your boat or jet ski this summer? Get a quote from Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Call or search Club Marine to find out more. Ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures and on the back of my review, which Aaron wasn't very happy with. Oh, no, I actually enjoyed it. It was a, really shows the true bloke you are. No, I'm getting into home handyman and I just love the fact that I can buy one tool and it has all these different batteries that, that you can buy one battery, the same thing. What did I say? <laughs> no, no, you got it wrong. I did buy all these different tools, <laughs> none of which are very few of which I actually use. How many batteries did you buy? I've got like three or four batteries. <laughs> Mate, they are unreal. I'm you're very impressed. At by least it. you'll be able to sell them. But they'll say never used. <laughs> Shit, I've procrastinated today. It's time for Red's tip. Red's tip this week is coming off the back of these tuna run, and they just keep getting better. And I don't just talk about here outside where I fish majority of the time. I'm talking anywhere you are in the world. Those banger teaser bars are working extremely good, like I said to you, but it's about putting them in the right positions. comes down to your lure head too, Pat. So what I mean by this is the lures that I'm running still closer to the boat with that teaser bar, the lure still has its action. Don't think by just putting a lure on the back of that it's going to work better than what it would out in the shotgun. You need to specifically place these lures. So I'm running my bigger cupped head on the daisy chains closer to the boat. I'm running my smallest shotgun lure. As far back as I can, because I need that to be, like I said, as far back as I can, I need that to be in the water, not out of the water. Now, what I mean by that is the closer it is to the boat, the more chance that little lure that I'm running can get pulled in the air and not be doing its thing because we don't have flying fish here in Victoria. So what we're going to do is, when it's windy, that small shotgun lure I'm talking about, we're going to run a bullet head. And what I mean by a bullet head, it's a weighted head, and that's going to hold in the water when it's windy and rough. Where if you were just to run a normal soft head, there's more chance it's going to blow out the water. So that shotgun lure has my smallest lure, depending on the day with the bullet head or, the, or just the soft head. And as I come closer to the boat, my lures tend to get slightly bigger or a bigger cupped head at least. So it's about still getting the position of your lures in the right place. So I'm running daisy chain, dredge the, the banger's teaser on the left, then another daisy chain behind that, and then my teaser bar right out on the shotgun. Just be mindful when there is other boats around, you can't have it too far out because you, well, you can, but you're going to lose your $100 bar. So just be mindful of other boats because some people are being idiots and they're running them 200 bloody metres past the back of their boat. You don't want that. You want it to be working in with the other lures. I'm running it where your wash ends off your propeller. I'm running it probably 15 behind that. So in the end, it's probably 40 or probably 50, say, off the back, which is still... A fair probably it wouldn't be fifty, it'd be forty five fifty. So it it wouldn't be fifty. No, I'm just forty five. Forty five. I'm going forty five. It's forty seven point eight. That's exactly what it is. I measured it. And so make sure it's not too far back. I know Crossy, we had him on the show a little while ago. We did. He was drifting for snapper. And these guys obviously thought he was hooked up. And 
they've trawled around his boat, like out wide of his boat to see what he was doing, realised he was on the snapper, but didn't realise that they'd, well, they probably did, but didn't realise they were going to run their dredge bar or their teaser bar along the whole side of his hull because that, and they were 250 metres away. That's how far back some people are running them. Not going to capture more fish. It's not going to work. You need it close to the boat for when you turn and whatnot. That was Red's tip, and now it's time for the flying gaff. Well, the flying gaff this weekend is more of a, a question for those out there buying and purchasing new vehicles, of which you have just done, Redmond. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question I want to pose is, with car companies shifting their attentions towards renewables, and most recently we've seen American giant uh, GM, General Motors, um, vowing to be fully carbon neutral by 2040, meaning it will end production of you know, basically all, vast majority of its internal combustion engines by 2035 and it'll have a 40% um, battery lineup by 2025. Where does that, where do you sit now going out and buying a new diesel powered car when so many manufacturers globally are heading away from that technology? Um, Does that concern you as a, as a four-wheel drive enthusiast, as someone that spent good money on a four-wheel drive, do you feel like it's going to drop off a cliff in terms of its value? It's a question to pose to our, our general listeners. Where do you think the auto, the automotive industry is is headed, and are you concerned as an Australian where we don't because we've got the such incredible vast distances that we travel, we don't have the same rollout of these electrical facilities that we see overseas, particularly across Europe? Is it something that you think of? Definitely not something I've ever thought of till you brought it up before the show, to tell you the <laughs> truth. But I won't be buying a four-wheel drive that's electric until I have to, at the, until I, or I know it's going to be better. But the only thing that these electric cars are good for is the Safeway at Ocean Grove, the new one, has six car spots designated, designated for, I'm just excited to say this, dedicated for electric cars. Yeah. And there, not once have I ever seen an electric car go in there and charge up, and all the car parks are full, and I just fucking motor, motor on in there, and the right hand down, and in there I park, and I don't have to worry. <laughs> right out the front of Safeway. That's the only thing they're good for. <laughs> on that note, Aaron, you're getting the flying gas this weekend, <laughs> and we're going fishing. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Real Adventures. Make sure you download our Real Adventures app. It has all our latest podcasts, news, fishing tips, and recipes. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.